numbers. The numbers are great. They are comforting in their absoluteness. Many people love math because of its predictability. Except when it doesn't work. <laughs> like if you say one-third and then try to change it to a decimal point. Uh, <clears throat> point three, 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 three. <laughs> Or take the perfect numerical relationship called the golden ratio. The 1 plus 2 equals 3, right? Three, 2 plus 3 equals 5. 3 plus 5 equals 8. 5 plus 8, see how that goes? You keep doing this, and then you divide the one number, you know, you divide the number pairs one way or the other, and you, you get 1.618 or 0.618, and it goes on depending on you know, which when you go. That's true. All the way up. Hold your hand up. The width and the length are that ratio. Did you know that? Look at a spiral galaxy. Guess what? <laughs> that ratio's in there. All over the universe, in trees, in leaves, in everything, you see this ratio. It's fascinating because manufacturers make everything from cars to phones to Kleenex boxes based on this perfect relationship. But the numbers don't actually work. <laughs> Not in base 10 until the 21st iteration. So 2 plus 3 equals 5, 3 plus 5. You have to go the 21st time before they actually begin to match. And then the two products don't actually match either. It isn't just 1.6. You can't just take away the one and get the other. It doesn't actually work. Hmm. How about physics? Usually things are very predictable, especially in what's called Newtonian physics, but it falls apart when you get to the details. Relativistic and quantum physics particularly is just not absolute. There's no, it's not absolute. How about people? Do you know anyone who's absolutely consistent? Uh, the one thing we can be sure of is change, right? <laughs> Only no, even change is not absolute. Some things don't change, well, others we were sure wouldn't do. If only something was absolute. We want an absolute that we can depend on. What if someone were absolute? How would people, like us, who can never be absolute, find out about a being who is absolute. How would you find that out? How would those people react when faced with such a person? What are the implications for us who are not absolute when we are faced with one who is absolute? The Jews were looking for him at the feast saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Well, some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. They were looking. They had great desire. But they were filled with fear. They were muttering, is he good? Is he leading people down the primrose path? You know, is this just another dead end? Another thing that doesn't really work. 
Understand that this is a people specifically prepared by God to bring the Christ into the world and they were split in their opinions. <laughs> and they let the Jews keep them from openly talking about Jesus, positively or negatively. And why such a virulent reaction to this man? Let's follow the story a bit more and maybe we'll get some idea. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? This is... I got this when I graduated. I got it. As I graduated, a Master of Theology is great for the ceremony. See? But I've never actually worn it since then until now. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do with this thing? But back then, people wore their signs of education. And people were amazed that one who didn't have these symbols could nevertheless display such significant knowledge and understanding. Just like they did when he was but twelve and stayed on in the temple. Mary and Joseph searched all over town for Jesus. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers at age 12. And then, just to make sure we understand, Luke records some important words of Jesus. There, in answer to Mary's noting that she and Joseph had looked so long for him before going to the temple, he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He knew. He knew where he should be and who he was at age 12. And remember, he's the person of the Son, but he is truly human. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. For 20 more years, his knowledge of who he was and who God is increased. He was already impressive at 12. Imagine him at 32. The Jews don't understand why he can know so much. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. What does a perfect but necessarily limited human nature look like? Jesus is human. He's perfectly human. How does a perfect but limited human nature handle life? My teaching is not mine. Well, obviously it is. He's teaching it. <laughs> he adheres to what he says. But it is not his alone, nor is it his in this human sense, in origin. It is from God. And, he says, if you know God, you'll recognize God's teaching. Jesus said the teaching is from God and also that the teaching is from the one who sent him. He's claiming, once again, to have come from God and thus has come with divine authority. He'll show us how that works as we go along. First, he needs to clarify for them the difference in all other human nature and his the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. If a human being speaks on his own, 
he speaks to gain glory for himself. And there is falsehood in him or her. But if one human, Jesus, seeks the glory of God who sent him, then he demonstrates that he is in his nature true. He can't even produce a falsehood. This tie of authority and glory, it's important. God alone deserves all glory because he has, as a part of his nature, all authority, right? (laughs) He's God. No human deserves, as a part of their nature, any glory because no human possesses authority as a part of who they are. Any authority they have is derived from that of God's. It comes from God. And thus, any glory they receive only comes because of God. Is that around enough? (laughs) This is true even of the Son. In human form, any authority and its associated glory comes from the Father. Unlike every other human that ever lived, Jesus actually lived this out perfectly. And because he came from God, could perfectly project God's nature in human form. The Jews, on the other hand, had come to believe they were glorious simply because they were Jews. <laughs> we're Americans, I mean Israelites. You know, they, they got the keepers of the law. So Jesus has to correct them. In fact, everyone, not Jesus, looks like this. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? To seek to kill Jesus was clearly to break the law, right? Which no one properly and completely keeps. The point? Left to their own devices, eventually every human would seek to kill the one who is perfect. It's our nature. The reaction of these specific people, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? That means, you're crazy. (laughs) That's what they're saying. Note, though, they haven't yet connected the dots that Jesus is the one that did the miracle for which the Jews want to kill him. Certainly, they haven't figured out who he is. So he jogs their brains a bit. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Let's stop there. Jesus identifies himself, humanly speaking, and as to his person, in time and out of time, by mentioning that he did this one work that everyone had heard about. I remember, no pictures, no newspapers, none of that. Only what one did identified who he is. And actually, that sounds like a much better system than ours. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll have to think on that some other time. Jesus made the point that circumcision predated the law. There is that which is more important than the law, Jews, which they had forgotten. God had given sacred words, the law, sacred places, sacred times, sacred food, sacred religious practices, all to help them learn who he is. Unfortunately, they had come to think that these things made them who they are. But they need to be put in their right place. But but they are good. They're gifts from God. So Jesus can use them to teach a greater truth. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Are you angry with me because I on the sab- because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? He's got the Sabbath law and the circumcision law. But one is more important than the other. 
Jesus uses here an argument from the lesser circumcision allowed on the Sabbath to the greater healing of the whole body on the Sabbath. Well, actually that Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath, but they were a ways from getting that yet, one step at a time. The greater teaching, I made a man's whole body well. Not by his human nature, but a greater, the Holy Spirit. Jesus works under the authority of the one who sent him. And so we reach the crux of the whole matter. What is the proper way for all the mere human beings to deal with the perfect man? The one who is truly absolute. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Appearances, the things we can clearly see in this world, things that are a part of this nature. Don't judge by those. But what if there is a nature beyond this nature? A reality from which this still real nature is derived. What if Jesus really did come from God, from the spirit realm? Is it possible for us to judge by that nature when we are so clearly a part of this terribly fallen nature? Well, it must be, because or Jesus wouldn't have told them to do it, right? <laughs> These are Jews who had been well prepared by God to believe there is another nature. And they sort of get what Jesus is saying. Some of the people at Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Could it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? They realize who he is in his human nature, and some begin to wonder who he is as relates to the absolute. And they go back and forth with the others. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. They get a part of it, if there really is a Christ, we can't possibly understand from where he comes. But they misunderstand his need to come in real human form. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. This whole you know me statement. There's no punctuation in ancient Greek. We don't know if this is an incredulous question. You know me and you know where I come from? I didn't talk like that. Or is this an acknowledgement of his human origin? You know where I come from. Whatever the case, Jesus makes it irrelevant. It's who you know. Just like he said at the beginning of the conversation, if you know God, you'll know his teaching when you hear it, right? Those who question him don't know the Father. The Father who is, like the Son, true in nature. And Jesus makes it very clear that he alone truly knows him. Which produces quite a reaction. So they were seeking to arrest him. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Once a person concludes the absolute exists, they start looking for it, well, for him. And many people begin to believe they've found it in Jesus. The scene in the temple shifts a little bit here. 
the Pharisees have come up and they take over the conversation. But all the time, Jesus knows the people are listening to him. It's for them that he is speaking to the Pharisees. He knows the people are carefully listening. So let's listen in too. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Those who will not believe cannot go to the one who sent the Son. They'll try. But since they refuse the absolute, they will be absolutely wrong in where they look, which they make abundantly clear. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go out to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come? You find it interesting that they completely quote what Jesus said about their inability to be a part of who he is. (laughs) It must have really bothered them. But did it bother them enough to make them change? This feast that they were all at had a really special feature that we should make clear. Every day of the feast, there was a ceremony where water was carried in a great procession from the Pool of Siloam all the way across town into the temple through to the altar where it was very ceremoniously poured out. And all Jews understood that this water represented God pouring his spirit out on the people. Each day of a full week, every day these daily excursions built until the greatest procession of all was held, a huge parade with lights and singing, a great celebration. And maybe right when that final ceremony was happening on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not from the altar into his heart, but out of his heart. Jesus, the one who made a whole man's body well is the one who can pour so much life into you that it will flow out of you. Rivers of living water. Jesus is the absolute, absolute life. But how? How do those who believe grasp the absolute? How does life pour out of them in rivers of living water? Jesus helps us out. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. I'm sorry, John's helping us out here. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When those people back then heard Jesus cry out, they didn't know about the person of the Spirit. Jesus is introducing this person with extreme delicacy. (laughs) John, writing decades later, can openly speak of the Holy Spirit since those who then believed had already received him, just as all we who believe in the Son have received the Spirit. Back then, before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, before he was glorified, they weren't sure what it all meant. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. This really is the prophet. Close, (laughs) close. Well, in a sense, it's actually accurate. Moses did say another prophet would come like him that they were to listen to. But, of course, Jesus is so much more than a prophet. 
He is the Christ. How much did they understand of that? How well did they grasp the absolute? Not sure. But we know they knew this was teaching that came from God. And that Jesus came from God. This is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. A division. Some were still judging by appearance. (laughs) And not right judgment. Not spiritual judgment. So they caused a division. There was division among the people over Jesus. The truth is, some will seek to kill him. And others who know God will know he is the ultimate truth, the Christ. It's simple, really. Leave or believe. That's the eventual end of the matter. There's no middle. Jesus isn't just a good man. He isn't just a prophet. He's either leading people astray, has a demon, is breaking the laws, the kind who would kill himself, is just a human from Galilee, or he is one who has great learning. The one doing God's will, teaching God's truth, healing whole persons, one who has gone to the Father and will come again, the one who brought absolute life and truth into the sight of poor fallen humans. One who, if you believe in him, will cause rivers of living water to flow from you. True life. For he will give you the Holy Spirit. Is this not the Christ? Is he the absolute embodiment of truth? You want something solid? Then you need to know it's someone solid. There is but one in whom we must believe. Do you want life? Then believe in this one. Judge not by appearances, but with right judgment. Spiritual judgment. Peter said it right. All who want eternal life must say the same. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. and We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Father, we're limited, and worse than that, we're fallen. We sin, we error, we make mistakes. Whatever we want to call it, we don't do it right. And we often don't judge the right way. And Jesus calls us to judge carefully. To look with spiritual eyes. We can't even do that without your help. But we know you sent your Son who was glorified. John Shorthand for lived and died and was buried and rose again and ascended to heaven with you again. And after that glory, he gave your spirit. The other person to whom you are so very, very close. And when we believe, that person comes into our hearts. And as John said in his letter, your spirit testifies with our spirit 
that we belong to you. Lord, I pray that each person who hears these words would know that they belong to you. Because only then will they have true life. Life so abundant, so tremendous, that it overflows like a beautiful picture Jesus used, like rivers of living water coming out of our hearts. That's how we want to live, Lord. And I know we won't get there absolutely until the new creation, but we can even now have that river of life in us. And it can indeed flow out of us and encourage and help and lift up other people. Help us to be yours, Lord, and to allow ourselves to be just filled with your Spirit so that what comes out of us is life. Thank you, Father, that your Son gave his life so that we could have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.